Sponsorship. The one thing on my mind 24-7 the whole of last year. Every conversation with pretty much anyone just somehow got to, so what are your plans and are you going to be in the US and is your job going to sponsor you? In the beginning, in fact, when I used to get that rare call back from a job, the first thing that would tumble out of my mouth was I need sponsorship, so can you promise me sponsorship? I was going about it all wrong. Turns out, as an artist, you are not looking for this one company to back you like a STEM student. As explained in episode 3, you need a deal memo from companies or independent entities. An agreement that they need your skill set and there's going to be regular work lined up. The way you pitch this matters, so don't make it sound like they need a team of lawyers and powered up HR to get you on board, because yeah, they will most definitely look for someone without that baggage. The work visa discussion is between you and an attorney. Which can be intimidating as most of us don't expect to have one on recent contacts until we are rich and famous. In this interview, I'm deliberately my most googly-eyed noob self with Sharon Brenner from Surawood's Immigration. I pick her brain on a number of things right from basic terminology, terms and conditions of CPT, OPT and the O visa. Um, And, you know, just to get a better understanding of how it works, how you present your case, what actually happens, all of it is just to give you a very good idea of how you can best use your one year of OPT. Aliens. With visas. Before we talk about the artist visa, there's a couple of other things, like the student visa, which was referred to as the F1, and then there's a CPT and an OPT phase. If you could just quickly give us a rundown of what those mean. Sure. So a student visa is an F1 visa that enables you to study. CPT and OPT are practical training. That's not a a visa per se to enable you to study their different things. CPT is when you're going to be doing some sort of Uh, work before you are conferred a degree, before you finish your degree program, and OPT is after you finish your degree program. So that's the main difference between the two, and there are things that um, the DSO at any university can, you know, detail more, more extensively. When someone's on CPT or OPT, can they be paid? Or is this, again, does this come under the purview of the DSO? For the CPT, again, I would defer to the DSO, just that's that's because, excuse me, that's because uh, that's what they, what they do. But um, for OPT, the point is that you're employed. So um, yes, you can be employed and be getting paid. And it's for basically employment after your degree program. And you wouldn't be given an employment authorization card along with your OPT. Of course, there are various types of OPT. But yeah, most people have the option of OPT for a year and then have the option for a grace period, assuming it's their first degree. Can artists who aren't necessarily students also be on this visa OPT, directly? Yeah, o- OPT is not a visa. It's, um, let's say, a benefit conferred upon people who finished a degree program in F1 status. F1 is a visa. Basically, the government's way of saying, hey, you just studied. You might want some time to check out what the options are or you know, put yourself into the profession. We're going to give you a year to do that. Um, do whatever you want in this OPT capacity and then you need to get a work visa if you want to stay. So yeah, an artist who just simply wants to work in the US would not have the option for OPT. They would have to get a work visa. This work visa, um, what about people who don't don't necessarily do the route of, um, you know, being a student, an international student first and then applying? 
How, how would it work for them? Sure, pretty much the same way. I mean, all the work visa options in the U.S. are available to anyone who meets the eligibility criteria, regardless of whether or not they are present in the U.S. So you can apply at any point in time um, from anywhere in the world. The artist visa, does it include, um, how, how wide is the, uh, the bracket? Sure, it's pretty wide. It's basically anyone who works in the artistic or creative fields. Um, and unlike some other classifications, you actually define your title in your field, so it has a little bit more flexibility in that regard. And I would just say that although there is a visa for artists, um, you know, it's I wouldn't know I wouldn't say if it's exactly classified as the artist visa, um, but certainly we can use that for purposes of the conversation. Um, but there are multiple types of options for multiple types of people. Different kinds of work visas, um, and then depending on what your art form is or um, where you're coming from, as we just said, you know, some people are coming from the U.S., some people are finishing a degree program, some people are coming from abroad. It depends on a, a number of factors, um, and that's kind of what would help classify what the best option for each individual would be. So it's what, what they're going to be doing and what they've done in the past, where their expertise lie. Right, but what about, um, I guess, these areas of work which are at the cusp of both creative and business? Like, I mean, I can just tell you, when you're a filmmaker, you, you have the role of a producer yeah. or even a music producer. How would it work in that case? Yeah, again, that just it all comes down to what you individually are going to be doing and all the... For example, the quote, artist visas, this is an O-1-B, B as in boy. There's also an O-1-A mm -hmm. for individuals in business or science or athletics and so on and so forth. So um, there's actually quite a range of um, options and it really just comes down to what does that person do on an everyday basis. Arguably, I would say someone who's a filmmaker who might be involved in some production logistics, but who primarily is involved in the creative aspects, I would say they would fall in an O-1-B, whereas someone who, let's say, is the lead executive of a record company might fall more into an O-1-A because even though they're working in the field of music, their daily activities are more business related. I mean, if someone were to say to me, uh, tell me about the artist visa, I would assume that they're talking about an O-1 or a P-1, which is for groups. Um, maybe in the context of the conversation, a cue, which is like for culturally relevant artists, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, yes, if someone said to me, artist visa, I would know what they were talking about, but it's not you know, the, the official terminology. So right. it's best um, you know, to just be specific. So it's a form of self-sponsorship as well. That's another um, defining characteristic of this visa type. I guess? Um, no, there's no self-sponsorship for any temporary work visas. You would need to get a petitioner to, again, quote sponsor, although it's not officially a sponsor, but it's called petitioner, um, would have to petition for you. There's only self-sponsorship for someone in an artistic field if they're going for a green card, which is a totally different category. That's a permanent resident category, a permanent immigrant petition. Specifically in the context of individuals finishing a degree program and starting their OPT, I would recommend that you at least have the conversation um, when you, you know, when, when the stress of getting the OPT is all done and you know, you're relieved and you know you're going to be here for a while, um, 
that's also a good time to start the conversation um, just so you know how to make the most of your OPT year and what the timeline is going to be and to set your expectations um, realistically and accordingly. It's sort of a gray area because I think that's when the school sort of, you know, washes its hands off the whole thing because, I mean, just out of experience, there's really not a lot that the school can usually help with. Yeah, I mean, the, the school probably can't give um, in-depth advice about the, the visa options post-OPT, let's say, rather than post-degree, but post-OPT, just because they're not necessarily attorneys, they probably can speak experientially. Um, I think as far as, you know, washing their hands of students, it would depend on the institution, um, because, uh, for example, you know, it feels that some of my clients do feel supported in their OPT time, but yeah, you know, I think, um, it is a good time to start talking again, just so you can understand what the options are and set your expectations and um, get an idea of what the next steps could be. Your portfolio, which is something that one would kind of put together to apply for jobs, doesn't always align with what an artist visa requires as part of its application, um, right? Kind of, so, I mean, all of your accomplishments would go towards the visa criteria. Um, so there, there are things that you need to be eligible outside of the criteria, and then there are the eligibility criteria um, of which you have to meet three. Um, for the O1B, there's like six or eight or something. Um, and yes, they do involve awards, judging the work of others in your field, working in a lead role or position, commercial success, um, original contributions to the field, having your name or your work in publications, um, all of which are field specific, so they're gonna change depending on what you do, um, or rather the evidence that you're gonna be able to give is gonna depend on what you do. I mean, there are a lot of ways to show um, achievements in any field, and I think uh, some people might be maybe surprised by the the things that they can show where they think, oh, well, this wasn't a big deal, but you know, maybe it actually was objectively to someone who's not in the field, who's maybe you know, less critical or something like that. Um, for example, an example that I give people a lot that I think is applicable to a variety of fields, but is um, very emblematic, which is a graphic designer, let's say, in advertising. Let's say you design the graphics for a McDonald's ad, and that ad is on the side of every bus in New York City and television or whatever. Your name is obviously not going to be on that ad because that's just not how advertising works. Um, but if you can show that the ad was on all of those buses and in TV, on TV and in magazines or whatever the case may be, complemented with, let's say, a letter from the company you worked for, or whatever the case is, then we can show that, you know, there is extensive press about you and your work. Um, mm. So it, it really doesn't necessarily have to be just press or awards. And similarly, you know, judging the work of others, that might have been in a private event, you know, or a closed event, but you still judge the work of others, or maybe you judged it not in, like, you know, a pitching forum or a panel or something like that, but maybe you were asked to review people's work um, in writing or by video or something like that. I mean, there's just so many different ways that the criteria manifest themselves um, that are highly dependent on the field in which you work. Do you usually recommend that 
you know clients who don't necessarily have the body of work that's required to have a successful mm-hmm. petition that they work on their stuff and then come back to you so it's usually like five to six months of amping up your credits and then sort of revisiting yeah work. well I mean of course it depends when the person um, comes to me hopefully it's towards the beginning of their OPT um, mm. and you know any good lawyer always tells a client the you know obviously it's unethical to um, you know guarantee a result but any experienced attorney can let someone know if they think that uh, there's going to be a problem it's, if it's going to be on the weaker end or the stronger end obviously it's up to the actual adjudicator in the end as to whether or not mm. it's going to be approved but you can get a sense of um, the strength of a potential petition uh, and then make suggestions as to how it can be presented in the strongest way um, and personally I think especially for people who are just finishing a degree program um, the most helpful things that they can do are firstly to kind of um, take your OPT or to be your own PR person I like to say which mm-hmm. is you know just get your name out there um, because presumably if you haven't been working in the field for an extremely long period of time just the quantity is going to be a little bit lower mm-hmm. um, so it's a good opportunity to really take your OPT time and promote yourself um, and the other thing is just to stay organized because, and this goes for anyone regardless of the part of the process mm. they're in, um, which is you could have someone who's extremely qualified but extremely disorganized and someone who might be on the weaker end but who is extremely organized. And if you're the adjudicator and you have you know, hundreds of petitions to sort through in a day and you're not familiar with the field, you want someone to clearly present their story to you. And if they can't do that in an organized fashion, then it's going to be hard for you to make a determination. So if you think about it from that perspective, just being organized can help bring the strength of a petition up a lot. Wow. So, no, but is it, is it really true that they could be looking at about 100 petitions a day? I have no idea how many, but I'm, huh. just, I'm assuming that they're quite busy. Of um, course, yes. So the governing body, what do they look at? Um, what really helps a good um, artist visa app, you know, petition? How can you make it the strongest um, contender? Sure. Well, um, again, just like being organized and having the substance. Um, mm-hmm. As far as what the adjudicators actually look at, um, you know, your, your guess is as good as mine as far as their internal processes are concerned. But, you know, again, I just think being very clear, making it very obvious, being organized, um, and then as far as the substance is concerned, well, just you know, trying to meet the criteria, and preferring mm-hmm. evidence that is really direct, and clearly shows that you've demonstrated the things that you're supposed to demonstrate. So, what are the options for someone who maybe necessarily hasn't been able to get the most out of the OPT period, working on their credits, but not enough to present? it in the form of direct evidence like you said because mm-hmm. I mean there is there is an, there is a fee and you know you want to be you want to be 100% sure that you have a strong case before you apply mm-hmm. ideally so yeah. you know I guess some some people probably try to stay go back to school and kind of get some more time that way but if you were to leave the country because of that is there a way to come back in can you still apply for the artist visa if you're not in America yeah yeah, yeah. you can apply anytime from anywhere 
And um, yeah, there are some people that say, you know, I don't feel comfortable if I don't feel like I have a strong chance. I'm going to mm -hmm. go abroad or I'm going to go home and build up my CV um, mm -hmm. and then reapply later when I have more material. Okay, and does that necessarily, uh, you know, weaken their chances or is it all, is it, it's no, not no, necessarily no, no. that it's... No, no um, benefit or, uh, you know, lack of a benefit for applying from abroad. There's, there's no, no difference. Having worked with uh, the cl your clients, is there anything that stands out as, you know, what, what should one expect? I, I, to me, it feels like it's a test of endurance because <laughs> you need to stay motivated throughout the nine months or a year. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, is there anything else that you would think? Yeah, I mean, it is, I, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it is a bit of an endurance test. Um, but, you know, I think just staying focused, I mean, I've been in school, you've been in school, you know, at, at the end of a degree program, you're kind of exhausted and you're just mm -hmm. excited to maybe not be in school and yeah. get out into the field. And then, you know, you think, oh, I have to deal with this whole visa process on top of that. Um, but, you know, as with any profession, it gets better <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and you just want to keep working and keep the goal in mind. Um, I really can't stress enough, like, how beneficial it will be to you, you the general you, um, uh, you know, just by simply being organized. It really makes a huge difference. You have to remember that the person looking at your petition might have no background or experience in your field, not just you specifically, but in your field. So it's up mm. to you to just tell your story, you know, and a good attorney is not just a good advocate, but also a good writer, a good creative writer. And that's how you're telling your story is through paperwork and writing. Mm. Um, so, you know, you, it's really important that you just give as much information and detail as possible so that then they can better understand both the attorney and the adjudicator what your story is. The writing, the creative, that's where the firm really comes into play. Like you have someone making that case into something that's legal and presentable. Exactly. I mean, an attorney is helpful as far as advocating on your behalf and preparing everything in a way that they know comports with not only the regulations, but how the adjudicators like to review things. Mm. Um, and also just knowing that there are memoranda and other things beyond simply what you could find maybe on a computer screen. So, um, right. yeah, I do think it's valuable to have an attorney in this context. There are other things that I think can be done, certainly without an attorney, depending on the case. Um, but there are other things that I think are sufficiently complex that there is a, a clear benefit to, to working with someone. And there isn't a cap for the artist visa, right? You, no, there's no, no way to find out the number of people who apply for it each year. Or... No, but I, I don't think there's a need necessarily. There's no cap and no, you know, no limit. Now I'm just curious. Like I feel like uh, artists in America, from what I've gathered, I mean, a lot of them feel that the arts are underfunded as it is, mm -hmm. which you know makes me wonder: is it is it a disadvantage to have more artists? Does it is that the uh, mindset sometimes that we don't need you know any more artists or no I don't think so I mean I think that um, underfunding for the arts is an international issue <laughs> yeah, it is. that's how it is everywhere um, but as far as immigration adjudicators are concerned I don't think that there's any sort of um, 
perspective or policy that they don't want to to allow more artists into the country. Mm. Um, if anything, I think you know probably the artists are kind of low on the um, priority list. Let's say I think a lot more attention is given to people in business um, or family-based and of course vulnerable populations that need that attention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think there's anything like oh we don't want more artists, so we're going to deny petitions. Definitely not. <laughs> Once you have this, you know, you have all your evidence and you, it, your case is put together, what's the turnaround like? Is it, do you get to know within a couple of months or? Kind of, yeah. So it depends on a few things. Um, the first thing is it depends on where you live or rather where you're going to work. Um, mm-hmm. So depending on location, let's say, your petition is either going to be sent to a service center, an adjudication center on the East Coast or the West Coast. Um, Mm. And just kind of there's a list of all the states and you figure out where yours is going to be sent. And those different service centers have different processing times. Um, So Mm. you need to check um, and they issue a processing time report each month uh, and and they tell you where they are. Mm. So, you know, it can it fluctuates over time. I think the East Coast right now is about five months and the West Coast is edging a little past two. Um, then you can also pay the government an extra fee to expedite the adjudication on top of the base fee. And that, Mm -hmm. uh, expedited adjudication, which is called premium processing is 15 calendar days. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last point I will make on that is that if the government wants more information about your petition, they'll issue what's called a request for evidence. Um, and once they issue the... RFE, Request for Evidence, um, you'll mm-hmm. have to respond. And depending on the nature of the request, it can take you know a couple days or a month or whatever to get the paperwork together. And then once you submit your response, it can take another you know month or two or whatever for them to adjudicate the RFE, or if you did the premium processing option, another up to 15 days. You can submit it at any time, um, speaking for MFA or rather people on um, OPT or grace period, you can submit it during OPT or even through the grace period. Um, But of course, in the grace period, you can't work. And certainly after the grace period, you couldn't work. You know, just to clarify this once and for all, you said there is no self-sponsorship as such. So if you are a freelancer, you, w- you want to work as an independent working professional, which is kind of the norm in mm-hmm. film. If you're a cinematographer or you're a mm-hmm. production assistant, I mean, you're sort of an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. So you still, but for the uh, artist visa, for the O1B visa category, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you still, you, you gather up your evidence and you still have a one petitioner, though you're not, you're not technically sponsored by the person, are you? Well, so it's a little more complex, let's say. Mm. So there is no self-sponsorship. There is no freelancer visa. You know, some countries do have a freelancer visa. We don't. Okay. The O-1 people, I think, um, let's say, refer to it like that because you can work for multiple employers, Mm. whereas on other visas, you can work for one employer. Mm. And the ability to work for multiple employers is dependent on the relationship you have with your petitioner. Your petitioner can be your singular employer, Mm. or if they are acting as your agent, and that's agent in the legal term, not as necessarily in the um, artistic term, totally, again, dependent on the field you work in. 
then if they are your agent for purposes of the petition, um, then you have the opportunity, again, depending on how it's organized, to work for multiple entities or individuals. So you need to have a solid body of work to kind of prove that you, you know, you're great as an, you, you have a lot of achievement as an artist by yourself. And then you have a, you know, a petitioner who's probably a colleague, I would think that would make the most sense. I mean, it, it, again, it totally depends on what you intend to do. Right. Um, and it can be any U.S.-based, and again, I won't get into the, the boring legal complexities here, but more or less it's a U.S.-based entity right. or individual recommended in your field. Okay. Um, so it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be a colleague. But so the it, petitioner sort of, quote-unquote, yeah. allows you to work for multiple employers, and that's how this works as a freelancer visa. Yeah, mm -hmm. if, if you organize your petition as an agency mm -hmm. petition, let's mm -hmm. say, then you are entitled to work for multiple people and the, organ and the organization of the petition would follow accordingly. Mm -hmm. If your petition is submitted as a petitioner with one employer, then you're only permitted to work for that one employer. Um, you get multiple petitioners then if you work for a couple of places, I guess. Well, no. So you still have one petitioner, but you have multiple employers. So there's a difference between petitioner and employer. And that's, that's where that designation lies. Have you ever felt that this sort of immigration policy does it disadvantage citizens in any way? You know, maybe it's in between the lines. I don't know. Do you feel uh, like disadvantage it's... U.S. citizens? Mm -hmm. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, speaking from you know a liberal, or I guess I guess it's called progressive now, liberal progressive Californian mindset. I think you know we tend to embrace the arts and diversity in the U.S. Yeah. Um, despite the current climate, which I won't get into, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think that there's any, any policy or idea that having artists um, is any disadvantage to American yeah. citizens. And I don't think it's even entered the realm of discussion in this bogus discussion of you know stealing jobs or whatever people want to call that, which obviously I don't agree with either, but um, yeah, I don't think artists are really part of that discussion mm. for, for better or worse, you know, right. O2 is um, more or less for someone who's assisting. So it's someone who is going to be working with an O1 exclusively, meaning you're not doing your own stuff. You're only working for this O1 and you're working for them in some essential way, um, meaning you are essential to a project or performance or whatever it is that they are working on and you have a history of working with them. So. A common example would be, um, hmm. let's say you're working with someone abroad and you both want to come to the U.S., one's an assistant, one's the lead artist, and the lead artist is coming on O1 and they want to bring you as their assistant because obviously you have a work history together um, and in order for them to complete their projects, they want to rely on your assistance. I guess this is the one area where maybe, you know, a relationship with a U.S. employer might not, might not be necessarily beneficial because you exactly I mean I wouldn't someone. yeah a, a, an independent employment offer for someone on an O2 would be irrelevant just because they're not really permitted to work for someone else they're permitted to work for or rather with the O1 on their projects that's the purpose um, so you know a comic like an example could be let's say a production manager and a production assistant something like that just as an example 
I've spoken to a lot of my friends in the uh, the STEM fields and, you know, th their way of thinking is they usually try to find a company that has a history of sponsorship. And then it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward because a lot of these companies, I mean, obviously these are huge companies, tech companies. So they have HR departments, which are well aware of how all of it works. But um, if you're not in a traditional um, field like that, or, and you know, you maybe a visual artist or a musician, does it make sense to sort of look for a niche company that might sponsor or is it better to work on your credits in this time and at the same time kind of look out for a petitioner? All of the above. <laughs> I think, you know, you, you have to work on everything at the same time. Mm. Um, as far as strategizing, I mean, yes, obviously you have to have at least one, if not multiple, employment offers to apply for a visa. It's not like in some countries where you get a work visa and then you look for a job. Um, I would say people typically don't have so much trouble getting a petitioner and once they start the process finding the offers for work um, because usually they've developed relationships and a network um, through which they can sort that. It's usually the, the evidence, mm. the supporting evidence that's the most difficult part for people or just finishing a degree just because of what I mentioned before, meaning the quantity is limited. Because I know that the artist visa has like, I think there's a criteria of the six things you need to fulfill, but you need about three of them to be strong or something like that, right? At least three, yeah. But I mean, most people meet more than the minimum um, and obviously should try to meet more or, you know, yeah. for evidence of more than the minimum mm -hmm. because you don't want to just go for the minimum and hope they agree with you. You want to give them as much as possible and show them that you're overqualified and that they should approve you. For people who maybe feel discouraged or, or overwhelmed, just, you know, to stay optimistic and as I said, be organized and try to get all the information, um, seek out people with experience and then you know, hopefully the outcome will be successful. Yeah, one can only hope. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little <laughs> concerned about the current batch of international students because I feel like they're coming at a time when, you know, I, I, I don't even know how long it's going to be so, such a fierce subject of discussion. But yeah, I feel mm. like it would really help to know that um, there's still support. Definitely, and I mean, just one quick point without being on a rant, but uh, you know, the generally speaking, you know. Any immigration lawyer is, you know, on the side of the client, meaning like we're here to help. Um, and pretty much every mm -hmm. immigration advocacy organization, including the American Immigration Lawyers Association, of which almost every immigration lawyer in the U.S. is a part of, um, you know, has been very supportive as far as advocacy efforts are concerned. Um, so, you know, if anyone feels discouraged from a policy level, they'll probably find comfort um, in speaking to an attorney who is on their side. <sighs> a lot of info to process, but we aren't done just yet. After getting through that first usually free consultation, the period of clarity is quickly interrupted by more questions, confusion, and good old anxiety. How do you decide your next move? And for a drawn-out process that's so reliant on good understanding with an attorney, how do you find the right match? Tune in to the next episode for an emboldened second attempt at demystifying the artist visa. Make sure you check out all the episodes, blog posts, videos, and other social media content by connecting on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now Pinterest. Thank you for listening. Spread the word, leave a review, and I'll see you real soon.